Welcome to Introduction to Feminist and Social Justice Studies. This is the 16th audio episode of the semester-long course for the Gender, Sexuality, Feminist, and Social Justice Studies program at McGill University, taking place in the fall of 2021. This is the start of the third and final unit. For McGill students taking this course for credit, congratulations on finishing your two written assignments for the course. All you have left is to listen to the final audio lectures 16 through 22, complete the final open note quiz, and if you haven't completed it yet, do your IGSF event write-up. My name is Dr. Alex Ketchum, and I am your professor for this course. I'm joined by three teaching assistants who are graduate students at McGill University. Our teaching team will lead you through the materials of this course. Today's episode will discuss 1. The Lost Promise of the Internet 2. Trolling, Doxing, and Cyber Harassment 3. Gamergate and Social Media 4. Course Evaluations is Bias And finally, the lecture will also include resources to help you if you encounter trolling, doxing, and or cyber harassment. Some of the materials from this lecture will be drawing on a report that I wrote this summer regarding the state of resources provided by universities to support scholars against online harassment, trolling, and doxing. I've linked to the full report in the transcript. Let's get started. Today's song is Let Em Say by Lizzo and Carolyn Smith. The artist reflected on this 2014 song that it is in celebration of all the ladies out there that were told they were to this and not enough that. Lizzo is an American singer, rapper, songwriter, and flautist born in Detroit, Michigan. Her lyrics often deal with empowerment and self-love. On January 5th, 2020, Lizzo stopped using Twitter, writing that there were too many trolls. She had been the target of body shaming, amongst other reasons. She is famous for songs such as Good As Hell, Truth Hurts, and so many more. Carolyn Smith fronts the band Carolyn Smith and the Good Night Sleeps, based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Today's lecture on online media and communication will address the topics of trolling, doxing, and cyber harassment. Let's first begin with the failed promise of the internet. The internet was once thought of as a place of utopia. Early internet proponents thought that the internet would democratize all knowledge and be a place of freedom and sharing. It's true that new technologies have enabled new voices to emerge. Social media platforms and apps have enabled new forms of activism, communication, solidarity building, and community building. However, the internet is not without many downsides. As once newspapers and journals filled with utopic dreams of the internet, we now see as many pieces declaring the dreams of the internet are dead. Most internet traffic passes through a small portion of sites, privately controlled, which depend on data extraction for profit, a topic we will discuss more in the technology lecture. Despite creators' dreams, internet harassment, particularly of a sexual nature, is almost as old as the internet itself, a topic explored in Joy Lisi Rankin's book, A People's History of Computing in the United States, published in 2018. Before we go further, it is important to define a few terms. 
Trolling is an act of harassment, which primarily occurs online, is a form of cyberbullying that can include posting rumors, threats, sexual remarks, violent comments, or hate speech. Troll is a person who intentionally antagonizes others online by posting inflammatory, irrelevant, or offensive comments or other disruptive content. Doxing is the act of broadcasting private or identifying information about an individual for the purpose of harassment, and particularly racial and gender-based harassment. These are forms of cyberbullying. They can occur on a wide variety of platforms and apps. Are you aware of the now infamous Whoops, I am a lady on the internet comic by Kate Beaton, the creator of Hark a Vagrant that's over a decade old. The simple image is a figure logging onto a computer and receiving the misspelled message, Hey, I think you're sexy. I like your comics. I think I am stalking you. I hope that's okay. Beaton here points to the experiences of many women in online spaces, immediately being sexualized for existing. This brings us to Carla Mantilla's reading for today. Gender Trolling Misogyny Adapts to New Media from 2013. In the piece, Mantia identifies and theorizes the complex relationships between online culture, technology, and misogyny. She asks how the internet's anti-woman spaces and discourses have been transformed by the technological affordances of new digital platforms and whether they are born of the same types of discontents articulated in older forms of anti-feminism or to what extent they might articulate a different constellation of social, cultural, and gender political factors. She looks at the particulars of gender trolling as the participation, often coordinated, of numerous people, the gendered-based insults, vicious language, incredible threats, and the unusual intensity, scope, and longevity of attacks. She writes that a unique feature of gender trolling is that it nearly always occurs in response to women speaking about some form of sexism. Then she looks at the kinds of places where this shows up. We can also see the ways that this impacts people's working conditions. There's a cost to doing work in public spheres that disproportionately is paid by marginalized people. It's not rare for women, indigenous people, and people of color to face harassment online especially for people of marginalized identities, a writer's ideas are not the only thing attacked. Threats of death and sexual violence can fill a person's inbox. Racist trolls and gender trolling can intimidate scholars and dissuade them from doing this work. Doxing, the act of broadcasting, private, or identifying information about an individual for the purpose of harassment, and particularly racial and gender-based harassment, has been well documented. Women, gender non-binary people, queer people, and racialized peoples are more likely to not just have their ideas attacked, but their identities attacked. As journalist Amanda Hess explains in her piece, Why Women Aren't Welcome on the Internet, starting quote, Ignore the barrage of violent tweets and harassing messages that confront you online every day. That's what women are told. But these relentless messages are an assault on women's careers, their psychological bandwidth, and their freedom to live online. We've been thinking about internet harassment all wrong. Online harassment diminishes free speech of women and racialized scholars and writers and content producers. This kind of harassment or threat of potential harassment curtails the desire to participate in public-facing work, especially with the media. Hess writes, According to a 2005 report by the Pew Research Center, which has been tracking the online lives of Americans for more than a decade, women and men have been logging on in equal numbers since 2000, but the vilest communications are still disproportionately lobbed at women. 
they're more likely to report being stalked and harassed on the internet. Of the 3,787 people who reported harassing incidents from 2000 to 2012 to the volunteer organization working to halt online abuse, 72.5% were female. Sometimes the abuse can get physical. A Pew survey survey reported that 5% women who used the internet said something happened online that led them into physical danger, and it starts young. Teenage girls are significantly more likely to be cyberbullied than boys. Just appearing as a woman online, it seems, can be enough to inspire abuse. In 2006, researchers from the University of Maryland set up a bunch of fake online accounts and then dispatched them into chat rooms. Accounts with feminine usernames incurred an average of 100 sexually explicit or threatening messages a day. Masculine names received 3.7. Furthermore, even when harassment has not yet occurred, the fear of harassment can lead to self-silencing. In Gender and the Impact Agenda, the Cost of Public Engagement to Female Academics, Gender Studies Professor Heather Savignin notes how many female academics that she has interviewed have talked of how they had taken a conscious decision not to engage with the media for fear of abuse. She argues that the silencing becomes a form of symbolic violence, an expression of underlying relations of oppression and domination, which as Bourdieu suggests, becomes so normalized and routine that it occurs almost with the subordinate's own complicity, and thus, women then are structurally positioned to be complicit in their own silencing, even when this can affect their career trajectories. Online harassment also comes with increased anxiety and long-term health effects. The threat of being trolled leads to a kind of self-policing and self-censorship. Women and folks from marginalized communities will discuss the ways that the kind of harassment they encounter is gender, gendered and racialized. In a video, women writers from the publication BuzzFeed talked about how the kind of comments they received on their work was different than, their male, than that of their ma- white male colleagues. While their colleagues would receive critiques of their work, the women writers and performers would get comments threatening rape or other kinds of violence. Commentators would attack their physical appearance and their voice. We can see this play out across industries. The Canadian Center for Occupational Health and Safety instructs employers that they should pay attention to online harassment. However, most of this harassment continues. During the summer of 2020, I wanted to see what resources universities were providing to their scholars to protect them against trolling, doxing, and cyber harassment when they do public scholarship and public media work. The results were pretty dismal. After looking at the media relations office's websites of every Canadian university, we found that no information directly related to the topic of trolling, doxing, or harassment on any media relations office's website, with the exception of one university. Even information regarding trolling, doxing, and harassment was not available on the university websites. We wanted to know if media relations offices had internal materials, protocols, or plans. From May to mid-July 2020, the research team contacted every Canadian university's media relations office via email using the same English or French script, explaining the research project and asking what materials the office had for scholars regarding what to do, the risks, or the protocols of trolling, doxing, or harassment that a scholar might encounter while doing public-facing scholarship. We found that no media relations offices had explicit protocols or documents, with the exception of one university. I've linked to the transcript. I've linked in the transcript to the full report if you're interested. This phenomenon is in no way limited to universities, but we can see another area in universities where this is a problem, course evaluations. 
Course evaluations tend to have gender and racial bias, as study after study has shown, with comments made about women professors' appearance, voice, and niceness. Course evaluations can be used as a place where students will bully professors. Students will write about women professors' bodies, weight, piercings, and cleavage. There's so many issues with course evaluations, including hypersexualized and racist commentaries. These biases are well known. And yet, while all this is known, they are still used to hire and fire. I link to some articles with details in the show notes. I hope you keep this in mind when you do your course evaluations. How do you evaluate your professors differently? Do you expect your professors who are women to be nicer, more understanding, more responsive to emails? Make sure not to comment on physical appearance or attire. Like I said, academia is obviously not the only space where these problems occur. Amanda Hess in her Why Women Aren't Welcome on the Internet writes, If American police forces are overwhelmingly male, the technology companies that have created the architecture of the online world are famously even more so. In 2010, according to the information services firm CB Insights, 92% of the founders of fledgling internet companies were male. 86% of their founding teams were exclusively male. While the numbers of women working across the sciences is generally increasing, the percentage of women working in computer sciences peaked in 2000 is now in the decline. In 2012, the Bureau of Labor Statistics found women made up just 22.5% of American computer programmers and 19.7% of software developers. In a 2012 study of 400 California companies, researchers at the University of California, Davis, found that just 7% of the highest paid executives at Silicon Valley companies were women. The personal and professional costs of that discrimination manifest themselves in very real ways, end quote. This plays out in how platforms prioritize or don't prioritize dealing with cyber violence and cyber bullying. This brings us to Gamergate. Beginning in August 2014, a harassment campaign targeted several women in the video game industry, notably feminist media critic Anita Sarkeesian of the website Feminist Frequency. She received death threats, threats of rape, and there was a bomb threat at one of her speaking events at Utah State University. The initial threat proposed that a Montreal Massacre-style attack will be carried out against the attendees as well as the students and staff at the nearby Women's Center, alluding to the Ecole Polytechnique Massacre, a 1989 mass shooting motivated by anti-feminism here in Montreal. She had to flee her own home after her, her address was linked. She had previously been a target of online harassment while making her YouTube series, Tropes vs. Women, in video games, which analyzes sexist portrayals of women in video games and her work with feminist frequency. We can also see how this can play out within tech companies and video game companies and how employees are treated. For example, this summer, more than a dozen people made public claims of sexual harassment and abuse against employees of the video game company Ubisoft. It is not the first time we have heard of toxic sexist and work- sexist and workplace environments in tech and the video game industries. Technology has also enabled new forms of bullying, including non-consensual porn and porn deepfakes. We can also see these issues play out in misinformation campaigns and fake news. As Sophia Noble, author of Algorithms of Oppression, writes in a 2015 piece, A Future for Intersectional Black Feminist Technology Studies, which I've linked to in the transcript. We need more interdisciplinary research and theorizing about how a range of digital technologies are embedded with intersectional and uneven power relations, from the ways in which technologies are structured through the range of engagements that happen on the web to the materiality of digital communications 
infrastructures that include the role of the state and capital in the extraction, manufacture, and disposal of the digital. Rather than maintaining collective intellectual investments in the liberatory possibilities of the internet that ignore a broader accounting of the true cost of investment and intersectional analysis hearkening to the Cumbahee River Collective allows the bridging of historical, economic, and political agendas to the contemporary material realities of marginalized and oppressed peoples across the globe and offers up a site of critique and the development of counter-narratives to those in power. In this sense, intersectional critique provides liberatory potential for those who seek to understand power structures that control the lives of so many among them, Black people across the diaspora, end quote. The internet is a key part of our lives. Violence occurring there is important and requires attention. So I just want to end today's lecture by providing you with resources that I've linked to in the transcript in case you or someone you know are trolled, doxxed, or harassed online. FemtechNet provides resources for both survivors of this violence and employers who aim to support them. Geek Feminism provides advice to survivors of trolling. Crash Override provides additional support. Cyberbullying.org offers lists and suggestions. Cyber Civil Rights Initiative provides information about online removal of offensive images, including non-consensual pornography. FemtechNet has created and aggregated some of the most useful resources, to which I've linked in the transcript. If you are in need of immediate help or support, Crash Override Network has an email hotline. HeartMob can help you create a safety plan and offer support. You might also look into Trollbuster's new pilot monitoring services. Their infographic of what to do in specific situations is particularly helpful. The Ottawa Coalition to End Violence Against Women and the Purple Sisters Youth Advisory Committee had developed Tech Without Violence, a set of resources to help prevent, respond to, and support individuals experiencing online gender-based violence or harassment, known as cyber violence. They have site-specific for social media platforms, as well as some excellent online safety tips, such as document the harassment, block the harassers, mitigate the internet troll storms, a step-by-step guide via geek, via geek feminism. I link to all of these resources within the transcripts. Cyberbullying, cyber harassment, trolling, and doxing are serious issues that require our attention. The closing bell sounds school bell dot wave from 13th Panska, Stranska, Makila, and the closing bell is from Inspector Day's bell counter, a dot wave of freesound.org. Fair dealing is an exception of the Canadian Copyright Act that outlines the permitted unauthorized use of copyrighted materials for specific mandated purposes. In Canada, these purposes include research, private study, education, parody, satire, criticism, review, or news reporting. For research and private study, education, parody, and satire, no special requirements are required. For criticism, review, and news reporting, the source and author must be named to constitute fair dealing. This is an advertisement-free podcast used for educational purposes.